Today, episode 28 of The Meme, we had promised you superheroes, but we're going to have to wait for a week on that one because of scheduling conflicts. But what we want to do today is talk about gentrification. Uh, gentrification, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the term, refers to a lot of different things. Um, but one of them is when um, people with a little bit more money, usually white people, uh, usually in an urban environment, move into a poorer neighborhood or a neighborhood that's been more run down, uh, maybe degraded uh, urban environment um, for economic reasons, for cultural reasons. And they start to change the urban environment um, in ways that are uh, objectively and subjectively good and bad, depending on who you are. And... Mm-hmm. Um, Probably the worst version of this is when a big developer comes in and forces a bunch of poor people to move out of a neighborhood and rents go way up and nobody can afford to live there anymore and they build big condo work play type places. Um, play, this is happening in places like Brooklyn. has It has been happening in Brooklyn for a long time. Uh, super, uh, certain um, neighborhoods in Chicago, Los Angeles, other large cities. It's basically a function of economics and um, the... Uh, the trend of uh, mostly young, mostly white, mostly educated people moving back into cities, choosing to live in, to, in cities and stay there rather than um, do kind of a suburb exurb thing, which is what our parents' generation did as they got more educated and earned more money. Uh, and I guess the way that I wanted to start this episode was to talk about your experience and my experience living in neighborhoods. Um, you, know, you and I have in certain ways been part of gentrification. Although that mm-hmm. wasn't our goal. Sometimes gentrification is very much like, oh, we're going to change this neighborhood. But a lot of the times it's just a bunch of people trying to live and it kind of just happens. And so I was wondering what your own story of being part of gentrification or experiencing it has been. And then I'll, I'll share a little bit of, of my story. So you could talk a little bit about Chicago and I'll talk a little bit about L.A. And we'll kind of unearth some of the why it's controversial and some of the sort of philosophical, cultural, underlying things that are going on, why people have a problem with it, why people think it's good, why people are uh, uncomfortable with it. So let's start there. What has been your experience of gentrification? Um, We should remind our audience that we are both white men uh, between the ages of 25 and 35. So we represent gentrification demographically but what 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 has been your experience with this phenomenon nick yeah um mine like you said because we fit the demographic so well mine has been positive um, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways um i definitely have benefited from it in terms of the services that are available in my own neighborhood like logan square mm-hmm. talk to me uh, about logan square a little bit give our listeners a little bit of a just tell me about the area where is it you know what has it been historically mm-hmm. what is it becoming why do you live there yeah it's a northwest suburb 
um, a, a not suburb neighborhood. Sorry. Yeah, it's not a suburb. <laughs> it's not a suburb. Um, it's a northwest neighborhood of Chicago. It had a very large Polish population. It still does. Um, and now it's actually mostly Hispanic families. Uh, so there's like a lot of different, um, Puerto Rican mainly, um, and Mexican culture that has developed here. But in the last 10 years, it's kind of been slowly gentrified. So, um, some of the signs of that, like there's a very old movie theater called the Logan theater that was shut down for a decade or two, um, and I think a couple years ago it got renovated, and that's back up, and there's, like, high-end florists, well, and... this is good. Um, this is good information, no. but maybe frame it in terms of, like, geographically, not everybody knows how Chicago works. Talk, talk to us a little bit about the geography of Chicago and where what it means that Logan Square is located where it is. Yeah, um, so I think most people know that the south side of Chicago is not great. Um, so it's not, it's not a south neighborhood at all, so it doesn't have to deal with any of that. However, I know in, in the 90s, it was considered the most dangerous uh, northwest neighbor, uh, neighborhood or northern neighborhood. Why was that? It just had a very large um, crime rate, especially violent crime. I think there was, I mean, from what I've been told by people who have lived here for a long time, this could be anecdotal, but there's a lot of tension between, um, there's a lot of gang activity. Um, because the South Side is mainly African-American, a lot of the like, young Hispanic people lived in the Northwest neighborhoods. Yeah. So instead of it being... Um, kind of an Afri African-American gang environment. It was more of a Latino one. Um, I know the Latin Kings were a huge force that have been like slowly pushed out of the neighborhood. Um, yeah, so a lot of this is based on policing and and drugs, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it shows you kind of the history of something. So it was a Polish neighborhood when Chicago was a meat city. Um, because no one wants to live here in a lot of ways. It's not close to the lake. It's not close to downtown. Yeah, we should remind um, our listeners that the, the major feature of Chicago is Lake Michigan, which mm -hmm. creates um, a natural economic draw um, and stratification based on your proximity to the lake in most cases, right? Yeah. So because it's northwest, the lake's towards the east. Um, it's, it's far away from, not far, but relatively far from it. Um, it's not super close to downtown. Um, so it's kind of like its own quiet thing. So it was cheaper and then it remained cheaper. And when you had the influx of, uh, Hispanic, uh, people moving to Chicago, it, it was still cheap. So it became that as well. Um, and I think now it's relatively cheap for like young professionals, quote unquote. So it's reached that point where it's still cheap, but there's stuff to do. You know, there's like cool yeah. bars and there's 
like nice restaurants and little like fun pop-up things and so they're you know we have a farmer's market which i guess that would be like the number one telltale sign that gentrification has started in an area is if you have like a whole foods or yeah Yeah, like we have a weekend a weekend farmer's market you know like so so why do you why do you live there because it was cheap you know like Lincoln Park, which is east and predominantly white, and the streets are immaculate, and everything is just, the houses are beautiful, it would cost me probably three times what I'm paying now for a smaller apartment. Mm-hmm. So this all. is similar to a Manhattan, Brooklyn kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And, and in a lot of ways, because places like Lincoln Park are so developed. It's like Starbucks and Panera Bread and Barnes and Noble and AMC where Logan still has a more like standalone businesses, um, like original renovated things. Like the community is really strong. And so like, we don't have a Panera Bread. We have a bakery. Which I enjoy, you know, because like growing up in, you know, in Fort Lauderdale, everything is kind of a chain. Yep. Or is like, it's so hyper developed that it's really hard for individual businesses to exist. Yeah. When there's like 8 million chilies and Finnegan's and whatever around. Um, so, but Logan's interesting because because the rents are still relatively cheap, these small businesses can operate and do some really cool things. And, and the rent's cheap here for residential people. So it's like a perfect kind of environment. I mean, in for, all of this, when you use yeah. the word cheap, you're, it, this is relatively speaking. It's not cheap as yeah. compared to a small town anywhere in the middle of America. It's cheap for a city. No, it's not cheap compared to anywhere. So it's I'll, like, I'll like give that, you yeah. a comparison. So, when Jessica and I moved to the place we live now, which is a rapidly gentrifying area, we were like on the, I mean, you lived here with us. We were on mm-hmm. the bleeding edge. We were like some of the first white people, to be blunt, to live in this neighborhood. And it wasn't because we were trying to gentrify. It's just because Jessica worked in Culver City, which itself has become completely gentrified. Yeah. Um what by families and businesses and Sony Picture Studios is there, Motion Picture Studios is there, and uh, Culver Studios and the whole downtown Culver area was, re- but we couldn't afford to live there. We just couldn't. So, just to give people a picture um, of this neighborhood, we were able to get a really good deal on our place. And I'm going to use some fake numbers here. So I don't know why, but mm-hmm. I'm just going to use. Let's say we were able to, and these are fake numbers, let's say we were able to get a a two-bedroom place with, like, a little yard here um, for $1,000 a month, which is not what we pay, but let's just say that's what we're mm-hmm. That same place, a mile and a half towards the city center of Culver City, which is, the, we're in the middle of Los Angeles, so everything's packed, very urban. Um, would be twenty five hundred to three thousand dollars. Yeah, just by going, just like just by by like I could walk to to a neighborhood that's a little nicer than my neighborhood, but there's no way I could afford to live there at all. 
how does that mm -hmm. compare in terms of like rents like when you look at like some of the really cool neighborhoods near the loop or or wicker park or yeah. whatever versus logan square mm -hmm. well i mean living downtown is totally out of the option you yeah. know it's like that is something that i mean if you really wanted to i guess you could find something but it would just be like why because for me it's like maybe i could afford to live in wicker park or lincoln park but if I, so my boyfriend, Will, when we first started dating, lived in Wicker Park and he lived in a two bedroom and it was just two bedrooms. Like there was no living room or anything, yeah. uh, place with like a bathroom and a hallway. And it was kind of run down, kind of weird in Wicker Park where I was living with two bedrooms, a living room and a bathroom and in unit laundry and blah, blah, blah. And his rent was double mine. And just to put that in perspective, this is a six-minute car ride and a ten-minute train ride from where I from so where I live. It's not like for you; it's a back it's a backbreaking commute. You don't live in Wheaton. No, and well, and that's why Logan Square is so attractive to a lot of people is because there are two Blue Line stops inside of Logan Square, which take you down right into the loop and also take you out to the airport. So there's, it's like a huge, like crossroads type thing. Mm -hmm. And because of that proximity and the cheapness and the fact that, you know, like for, for me, for example, if I want to go out and have, you know, do stuff on the town and be a city girl, mm -hmm. I don't have to leave Logan square really. So that's yeah. great too. Yeah. I mean, so you have like, a restaurant in Logan square. That's maybe one of the best meals I've ever had in my life which is yeah. Longman and Eagle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just unbelievable. It's a Michelin-starred restaurant. Uh, their small plates are unbelievable. Their cocktails are incredible. I went with our friends Mark and Noel when I was in Chicago a couple of summers ago, and um, we had an amazing meal. Everything was... I mean, I had the best old-fashioned I've ever had in my life, and it was $7, where in L.A., that's a $14 cocktail. So Yeah, exactly. I mean, I wish... you know, And there's like this really cool... like like 50s tiki bar lounge here that's also just like amazing and there's like I, like i was saying there's all those really cool almost like micro businesses yeah that can exist in an environment like this because there are people in logan square who can support long minute eagle mm -hmm. you know um but at the same time it's not so oppressive that they couldn't survive mm -hmm. and i think recently with a lot of there's been a lot of attention um a couple of high rise not high rises but like apartment complexes are being yeah. built and this has started a giant conversation of like what level of gentrification is logan square at now yeah you know it, and you already have like the early really cool people who are like well i'm moving to pilsen because it's still like kind of run down mm -hmm. where's by. that yeah um that's a little bit more south okay. thing here but it's but it's still pretty west it's closer to the loop mm -hmm. but it was i think it i've only been there a couple of times but every time i'm there it's it seems it's there's a lot of warehouses yeah so it looks like it used to be more of like an industrial zone so it's being like converted super... now yeah but it's definitely like logan square was started the process of gentrification probably a decade ago mm -hmm. you know so i'm coming at it mid transition you know yeah. we're still not 
And, and I'll like, just say, yeah. for my neighborhood, the people that have... We've been here for two years now. It's happening so rapidly. There are people moving into my neighborhood now that um, they're paying the same rent I'm paying, but for a one-bedroom instead of a two-bedroom with yeah. a yard, you know? And so yeah. things are changing, and they're changing quickly um, for this for this area because people just... There are jobs around here. We're a few blocks from the Expo line, which is about to extend all the way to Santa Monica, and you can get to cent- uh, the cent- um, Grand Central... Is it called? You no, know, Union. You can get to Union, Union Station, yeah. Station, and then you can go anywhere from there. Um, and it, when you combine this with like Uber and stuff, mm-hmm. it's really changed the game in terms of where you can live in Los Angeles. Um, I was going to ask you about two things. One, what the people that you know that live in your neighborhood, what kind of things that do they do to make money? What are they doing for careers or work or jobs? And secondly, um, what does the location of your workplace, Intelligentsia, what what is what do the the locations of those kinds of coffee shops in Chicago tell us about the geography of Chicago and about gentrification in Chicago? Yeah, totally. I think those are both really good questions. Um, Logan Square is actually really diverse. Um, so I'm not just my friends, but also the the regulars who come into Intelligentsia, um, who who's who live in the neighborhood. You know. Yeah. Um, so there's a huge service industry thing, which like, you know, shocker 20 somethings in an urban environment. Mm-hmm. But most um, of you have bachelor's degrees, right? Yeah. So there's that. Um, there's a huge service industry thing. A lot of bartenders, like a lot of bartenders. There's tons of bars in Logan Square. When my parents visited, I struggled to find a restaurant that wasn't actually just a bar that had food. Yeah, for my brother because of my younger brothers were here, and I realized like, oh, there's like, there's like, I don't know any really, which is you know is different, and I think it shows you how young the population is here in so a lot of ways. Pro- probably not a lot of families with two or three teenage kids. No, but that has started. Uh, young families or uh, baby families are definitely a, a thing here. Um, one of the, like, this has become gentrified things that I've heard people complain about is, like, strollers. Yeah. You know, like, I've heard people say, like, six years ago, there would never be a stroller in Logan Square. Or if there was, it'd be, like, a really, like, the baby would already have tattoos. Yeah. And, like, you know. Um, the baby's smoking blah. cigarettes and has an EP out. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, but it's actually pretty diverse. So some of my regulars, I would probably say half of them commute via the blue line um, downtown uh, to do, I know a couple marketing people, some finance people, uh, stuff like that, who don't want to live in like a studio in a giant high rise and pay thousands of dollars for that. Now, your, so they, your girl Kinsley, who we need to have on the mm-hmm. podcast at some point, she's, oh, yeah. she's a literary genius among other things. Mm-hmm. She's a she's a grad student right now, right? She's a grad student. Does she live near you, or does she live like totally in a different neighborhood? Um, no, I mean her living situation was was kind of interesting, just because um, her roommate's parents 
have been they basically are landlords in different locations in Chicago. Oh, okay. So their their rent has been very weird because well, me, of that. Let me ask yeah. like a person like Kinsley, where is she like mm-hmm. gonna live? Is she gonna live in Logan Square? Is she gonna live close to Yeah, she would live in Logan Square, she would live in Bucktown, Irving Park, and all of these are right next to each other, by the way. So like the northwest neighborhoods of Chicago and along with Pilsen, um which, I, like I said, is a little bit more south, is, like, right in that sweet spot of, like, I'm not living in Wheaton and I have to take a metra into the city for an hour. You know, I'm not living in the suburbs. But, like, I am living in a place where, like, you know, I don't live in an apartment. I live in a house, you know. And I I have, you know, I have a yard and a backyard and, you know, things like that. And it's affordable and it's a lot more comfortable. So, like, People like Kinsley, people like me, um, like I was saying, people with even uh, who are making more money at a younger age. I mean, some of these people make ninety, hundred, twenty thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. but they still want to live in these neighborhoods because it allows them to mm-hmm. get more for what you know for their money. Like they Is don't want to live. Is your artist friend still living near you? Um, which one? artist? Oh, Nora? Italy. Yeah, Nora. Does she still yeah. live in this area? Yeah, she lives in the Ukrainian village, which is, like I said, again, it's all of that northwest neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But you could walk to her house, right? Yeah. So she lives in the Ukrainian village. Um, and she's which, a working artist, right? Yeah, she, like, teaches preschool during the week, mm-hmm. like, part-time, I think, and then does that. So those people definitely exist. I mean, there's a lot of writers who live in the neighborhood. There's a lot of, like, mm-hmm. startup people. Yeah, and my, who, neighborhood, my neighborhood is mostly houses and small, yeah. small, small apartment buildings, like four units, right? And that actually is what most of Logan Square is, which is why the apartments are very... I think it's like a kind of wake-up call almost. Like, mm-hmm. oh, these are, like... This is, like, a giant apartment building. Like, yeah. most of it is, like, older apartment buildings mm-hmm. with, like, two floors, Basically three floors. Basically big house type things that were split up or... Yeah, know, like you could have maybe seen them, yeah. Or like even the like apartment buildings I'm sure were built in like the 60s mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. So they're like brick and they have stone work on them and stuff. But these new ones are like mm-hmm. steel, glass, seven stories tall. Mm-hmm. I um, think my neighborhood's a little yeah. less hip than your neighborhood because it's not, okay. you know, Silver Lake. It's yeah, not, yeah, yeah, it's not WeHo. It's not. It's a little bit like there's a lot of Hispanic young families with two or three kids, older mm-hmm. African American people who have been here forever. They're retired. They own their homes. My neighbors are a little bit more like. Most of them are married. Uh, one of one set of them has kids um, from a previous marriage. We got a couple real estate, like low level uh, real estate agents. It's not like they own their own agency. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, um, a school teacher who works at a charter school, a guy who's doing a tech startup, um, a guy who does finance grant writing for a nonprofit and a girl who's in advertising. So it's a little bit more established. It's a little bit less like, like most of us has been, have been out of college for 10 years, um, Yeah, yeah. you know, that around there kind of a thing. So it's a little bit more neighborhoody, but because LA is LA and it's so sprawling and it's so huge and it's so expensive, like 
this is, I think, just a slightly different brand of gentrification than what's going on um, in in your neighborhood and, and maybe in the arts district of L.A., you know, which is like yeah, super yeah. young, super hip, super artsy, um, city mm-hmm. center, crazy, just new developments going on and murals and things of that nature. Yeah. And I mean, and I, and I mean, to be really accurate, most of my neighbors are uh, Hispanic families mm-hmm. still. Mm-hmm. So like, I think, in, I mean, I don't want to like jump the gun on us being like critical gentrification, but a lot of the conversation that has been had in Logan Square about like, it's being, it's becoming so gentrified and blah, 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 blah. It's like, if you're talking about the main strip on the actual square, then yes. But if you walk like four minutes mm-hmm. in any direction Side from that, it's, it is still mostly... Um, depending on what direction you're going, like where Mark and Noel live in Logan as well, uh, who you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, And on their side of the neighborhood, it's still mostly elderly Polish people. Because that was where Polish families raised their kids 25 years ago. Exactly. And in my side, it's mostly young Hispanic families with two or three kids. So we're talking about incredibly diverse neighborhoods. Yeah, totally. Which most people would say is probably a good thing. Totally. So like, Mo- I want to say 70% of my neighbors are, they have children, they have lives. I'm sure they do yeah. something or whatever. And then I want to say the rest are, you know, like even when we were planning this podcast and I was out on my porch, like I mostly saw um, young moms getting, you know, into their minivans to go mm-hmm. pick up their kids from school or whatever. Mm-hmm. But also there is a dude with like a walking stick and blue hair mm-hmm. who had goggles on. Yeah. So like, you know, so, e- that. so even yeah. though you and I are both living in gentrifying neighborhoods and mm-hmm. part of this whole thing, we're not living in like the super duper amazing, cool, crazy, like everyone has a band, everyone is an artist. We're not living in like those intense, intense pockets of gentrification. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's like a moderate gentrification. Yeah, it's a more it's. It's definitely not like we're, and I think it's probably because of the cities we live in. In a lot of ways, mm-hmm. I think if if we were as these are, stacked, these are these are enormous geographic areas. Both Chicago and yes. LA are just gigantic. Like it's called the Chicago Land area, and yeah. Chicago is a sprawling city. And Los Angeles is, I think, the one of the largest city areas in in the United States. I mean, Los yeah. Angeles is a monstrosity of cities on mm-hmm. cities on cities. And it's exactly. not like New York and it's not like Boston and it's, and it's not like San Francisco. Well, yeah. Like imagine if we were living on an Island, basically like let's call this be, Island Manhattan. Yeah. Like things are so pressed up against each other that I think any change of, culture or ethnicity or even like what type of businesses can operate in the area is very strongly felt where like for me if i walk down milwaukee which is like the main street in logan you'll see all the gentrification stores but if i walk down fullerton which is right next to my house it's still almost 80 percent uh spanish language signs like there's very it doesn't it doesn't like there's look little like... little Latin supermarkets and things like that. Right? Yes, exactly. So like, and those are in 
you know, and Fullerton and Milwaukee intercept, but they also like it's there's enough space where I think those things aren't as felt. Where if we lived in a place like San Francisco, which is literally like the size of a football field in my head, like it's I can't imagine a neighborhood going from being mostly Chinese to having half of a white population. Like I feel like that would be so much more um impactful in that area. Before we move is. into some of the, the challenges of gentrification, mm-hmm. maybe do something that might be obvious to some people, but tell me what are the good parts in your view of gentrification? Like why why isn't it just like this is happening? Why is it how could we argue that it ought to be happening? Yeah, I mean I think the good parts are um people who it's almost like um hmm. it's almost like discovering the new world again or North America again where it's like if you go to downtown Chicago there's things that have existed there for what seemed like forever yeah you know and like you have to play all these games and like if you want to like have a restaurant in this district you have to like do this and this and this. And we like, can say you know, a lot of these areas yeah. are pretty calcified, right? The barriers, yeah. to, the barriers to entry in any way, owning things, uh, renting things, having jobs, uh, yeah. changing things. It's all extraordinarily difficult because the, these things are what they're going to be and what they have been. Right. Yeah. And only huge movers can get into those areas. It's like Michigan Avenue is like a gap outlet cheesecake factory you know, Sephora, like name brand giant things. And I think gentrification almost opens up areas to say, I want to open up a retro tiki bar, you know, and I want the cocktails to be $9. To do that, you can't, that couldn't happen in the loop. You know, that's just like, there's, there's literally no space for it. So I think gentrification allows people with with new ideas or with different goals. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure whoever owns Lost Lake, the tiki bar I'm talking about, isn't doesn't think, oh, I can't wait to make this a national brand. You know, yeah. like there's gonna be Lost Lake tiki bars in every neighborhood in America. So is you know, it like, fair to yeah. say that in some ways these gentrifying neighborhoods are basically the new locus of the American dream? Yeah. Is that fair? Absolutely. Okay. And for the, and for the residents, you know, so, and not just business owners and entrepreneurs, but for the residents, it's like, oh, I can live in Chicago or LA, um, and have access to the huge, you know, employment opportunities that are here yeah. as opposed to the suburbs. Yeah. And and I don't have to commute and I can enjoy kind of being cool and like getting to see cool things. Well, I was going to say, and, you say cool, yeah. but what I would say is you can open up a, a strip mall restaurant in a suburb right now and, and make a run at it and stuff and you can do okay and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think the difference for me is in these urban environments because the, the there's such an educated and ambitious and striving population you can do really it's it's so competitive in some ways you Mm -hmm. need to be all in so when someone starts something in one of these neighborhoods they're usually they've thought more about it it's not on a whim they have a plan they have an expertise they've 
worked on their craft. Like if someone, like whoever started Longman and Eagle in your neighborhood, that's a serious chef. That's not just mm-hmm. someone, some, you know, mom and pop bagel shop that opens up in some suburb somewhere. It is really yeah. bringing something new, inventive, ambitious, and cool, like you said, to the neighborhood. Like it's not, it's not like some of the restaurants I've seen in, in the suburbs where it's like, we opened up another, it's like a Panera Bread, the only different, or, you know, like, it, it's yeah. not, it's not as tired. It's, it seems fresher to me in a way. Oh, they, well, because of their, their target, um, I almost said audience, but their, um, the demographic that they're, they're looking for yeah. is like 28 year olds and 35 year olds, you know, like they're looking for people who are not living in the suburbs for a reason, you know? So it's like, I think I've just come to expect it where it's like, if I go to a restaurant in Logan square or Wicker park, there's going to be some like niche thing that they do, you know, like, it's not going to be like, we make really good sandwiches. The end, there's always like some, it's almost funny because it's almost like cliche now, but there's always some like, this has like arugula pesto with like duck fat, fries or blah. Well, also blah. like I, I was just in San Francisco mm-hmm. and it's like the big thing for the last few years has been toast. Mm-hmm. So you can go to the mill or to Trouble Coffee Co, which started this whole toast trend and you're going to get a piece of toast, one piece of toast. It's going to cost you $4. Okay. Um, but it's going to be bread they baked and then it's going to be toasted. It's going to be about two inches thick really 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 thick toast and it's going to be spread with something that's amazing whether it's like an Mm -hmm. artisan pumpkin you know butter or whether it's just at trouble they do cinnamon toast so it's like they slather Mm -hmm. it in butter and cinnamon and brown sugar and it's the best piece of toast you've ever had period and it's just toast and it seems ridiculous it's like who would ever pay that you know for this piece of and it's like me i would it's awesome i would once I yeah. mean, that's, that's, Not every that's day. my I job. Can't, uh, you know? I can't buy $4 toast every day. But... That's my job. I mean, people at my, pe- customers come into my job and buy milkshakes for $9. Yeah, tell me a little bit yeah. about Intelligentsia yeah. as a touchstone of this topic and of Chicago and of this kind of a cultural thing. I, 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 because I feel, I, I, I have a suspicion that Intelligentsia, through Intelligentsia, you can tell the story pretty well. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the like, most what it is and how it got here and what, you know what the state is. Yeah, so it started in 1995, um, and it was just one of it's one of the third wave coffee shops. I don't know if you're like familiar with what that means. Assume I'm not. Okay, so like a first wave coffee shop would be like McDonald's has a coffee machine, mm, you know, or like a and diner a second, that's serving you Folgers. Yes, a second wave coffee shop would be like. It's Starbucks, so, like, they make the coffee, but, like, it's still, like, kind of, not automated, but, like, you press a button and shots come out. You know, it's not really, like, you know, that type of thing. And then third wave coffee shops are are the ones that are, like, they're normally independent, they're normally, they're more, like, it's supposed to be more culinary in a lot of ways. Like, that's a huge emphasis. Like, we want this to be, like, an experience um, in a lot of ways. So it started off when yeah, a in bunch cer- of... in certain ways you're eventizing coffee. Yeah. Well, it's like raising it to... It's the difference between getting, like, the house red at an olive garden 
and go into a wine bar. You know, like, yes, they're both wine, but it's different in a lot yes. of ways. Um, and so it's basically that. And it started in Chicago, actually. And it was just kind of centered around the idea of, like, putting a lot of effort into coffee. Like, making coffee mm-hmm. into one of those things. Like and and where, where were the first, like, one, two, three locations? Where did they start? Yeah. The neighborhoods. So. The first one was in, in Broadway, um, over on, on Broadway, which is near Uptown, which at the time was kind of sleazy. Now it's super, super, super developed, like unbelievably developed, like Whole Foods, everything. So in that way, like, um, like intelligentsia seems to be maybe not a leading indicator, but perhaps a lagging indicator of gentrification. Oh, totally. And I think what's most interesting is intelligentsia is like even in the places in LA that they're at Silver Lake, mm-hmm. Venice, and Pasadena. So it's like mm-hmm. there's there's those are places that have those micro cultures of mm-hmm. like something cool's going on here. Mm-hmm. And I could see an intelligentsia opening up in the art district and maybe Eagle Rock or mm-hmm. something. By but the like, way, by the way, yeah. uh, Blue Bottle backed by an enormous venture capital buy mm-hmm. um, is making a huge play for Los Angeles right now. Blue Bottle is a San okay. Francisco-based third wave coffee. I mean, they okay. want to be the alternative to Starbucks and Intelligentsia in Los Angeles. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's 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 actually it's I think Forbes put the third wave coffee industry as one of the ten industries that resisted the recession. So for some reason during the recession, Intelligentsia did really great. Like they've they've done really really well. Do you want to along know with counterculture and Blue Bottle? Do you want to know Go why? for it. People like drugs. Yeah. <laughs> People really like drugs, and if you can make it like a boutique drug, then you're going to make a lot of money. You, you know what else? Oh, other, yeah. Under other industry is recession proof. Alcohol. You know whatever other one is weed. You know what? Yeah. You know cigarettes. Like those things are recession proof. Um, and I, I don't, I don't say that in a judging way. I have coffee every day. Like I mm-hmm. went to a third wave coffee shop this morning to meet with my pastor and just talk about things. Um, mm-hmm. Akasha in downtown Culver, which is great. Yeah. Which um, serves intelligentsia coffee. There you go. So I had Intelli this morning. Yeah. Um, actually I had a pour over from Columbia or something. It was good. It was mm-hmm. highly caffeinated. Um, you know, and I paid five bucks for it. So I can see why it's an industry because I want my caffeine so that I can make podcasts and write dissertations. And I think you can look at it in a negative way and be like, you're getting people to pay. I mean, we have some customers who come in and are like, you want me to pay like $4 for a cup of coffee? Like, this is the gentrification bullshit that I'm talking about, you know? Um, And you can look at it from that way. And I I don't want to seem biased, but like, Intelligentsia also uh, pioneered... um, a direct trade model. So like part of the reason why the coffee is so expensive is because like to be, for intelligentsia to buy coffee from a farmer um, or a group of farmers, it's an incredibly intense process of like us spending three years with them, them coming so to America. So part of this is kind of like a globalization being a global citizen. Yeah. There's, you know, there's a, yeah. So it's like, Yes, I think it's one of those things where it's like, if we're still talking about the pauses of gentrification, it's like, 
So the people who run Intelligentsia are not the same people who are interested in, in opening, you know, giant franchises in a yeah, lot of ways. they care a little bit more about people on average. Yeah. And that doesn't mean they're perfect or that they're... Mm-hmm. They're paying I mean, their workers yeah. a little bit more. They're paying their yeah. farmers a little bit more. So exactly. So it's more. like they're charging you more. And I think that's not like me giving like an apology for Intelligentsia, but it's just like... No, because like Intelligentsia is not the only business doing this kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. there are dozens and dozens and dozens of businesses I, doing this. What's the most interesting about Intelligentsia locations, barring the two ones, the ones that are downtown, mm-hmm. um, which are almost there to be like, this is a Chicago thing. Ooh. Yeah, like um, the intelligentsia in Venice, I don't, in California, I don't know if it makes money. Most businesses along Abbott Kinney in Venice don't make money because the rents are so incredibly high. It's basically yeah. like a Times Square thing. You're basically advertising a brand through your presence. It's like basically, basically saying we're part of this cool thing. Yeah, well, we, we, I mean, intelligentsia makes most of its money off wholesale, period. So it's like you're supposed to come into the store and have like an amazing experience and then be like, Oh, I own a hotel in Indiana, and I'm gonna buy Intelligentsia coffee to serve to people to make it higher. Anyways, that's a whole other conversation. But what I was going to say is, what I find really interesting is there aren't Intelligentsias in Lincoln Park. You know, like Lincoln Park, which I think would be like the height of a like upper, upper, upper middle class, if not straight out like just upper class, the the rich upper class. Um, are the Gold Coast, uh, which is like just wealthy, 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 wealthy. There aren't intelligentsias there because that's not the demographic. And I think that's the super interesting thing. It's like they're in the middle ground. It's not like, you know, 70-year-old real estate moguls love intelligentsia. Well, no, like people who are high-powered, like people who are high-powered 40 to 60-year-old just printing cash huge established mm-hmm. living in Manhattan and the Gold Coast of Chicago and living in um, Santa Monica and Burbank and and Beverly Hills they're just as likely to go to Starbucks as to yeah kind of, they're they like their star because they want the same thing they're not they're too busy for an experience they want their yeah. you know skinny um, vanilla um, soy latte they want it every day they want their assistant to go get it for them and bring it to them at the office so they can write the legal brief they're writing yeah, which is interesting. You know, it just shows you what different groups of people value. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it's just, and it, I think it's it's that's always been fascinating to me. You know, because if there were people who had money for five dollar cups of coffee, it would beat them. But mm-hmm. also, they they don't get it. You know, yeah. in like some ways, like they just don't they don't they don't understand why someone would do that. So let's get to so, the meat yeah. of of this conversation. Why anybody would do a podcast on this? If it was just like, yay, this is great. Like no one's doing a podcast on like we've improved this thing and no one cares. Um, mm-hmm. Why is it controversial? Like why do people? Some people hate it. Some people say this is like an evil thing. Um, why is that? I mean, I think the most classic arguments. Um, revolve around displacement, you know, so land and culture and development are all, um, they're limited. It's a, it's, it's resource scarcity, you know, like you, as much as, as much as LA and Chicago is spread out. So I think it's a little bit slower in feeling the forms of gentrification. Um, we're, 
there will come a point if Logan Tour continues to have businesses similar to Longman and similar to Intelli and similar to like boat boutique flower stores and things like that, where the type of people that are attracted there expect more and more things. So I think this is the basic narrative. You have these people move in, they start doing things to make it more white or more wealthy or whatever word they want to use. And because of that, because rent is, because it's an economic thing, a subjective kind of moving. Supply and demand. Supply and demand. demand is not always objective. Sometimes it's subjective. Thing, rent goes up. So it's like the nicer Logan Square becomes, the more gentrified it becomes, the more expensive by definition because more people want to live here, you know? It's like, so what that does is it displaces families that have lived here for 15 years and their mm-hmm. rent has increased maybe 6% mm-hmm. over so that time frame. So it's not necessarily mm-hmm. that people are being kicked out of their homes because in, in fact, in, in California, it's nearly impossible to kick a tenant out of a real place. Mm-hmm. It's that when new homes come up for rent or for sale, they are at higher prices. So the demographic makeup of the neighborhood is changing even more rapidly. So it's a cycle. So I'll give you an example. In my neighborhood, most of the people who own buildings here are older African-American people or, or you know, people who have classically lived in this neighborhood. And <laughs> they're able to charge a lot more rent than they were 10 years ago in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So they love it. They're fine with it. It's people who would have been able to live here or people who maybe their lease does come up and their rent goes up a little bit because now their landlord can't, but there's a, a bunch of rent, rent control and other things going on uh, in a lot of these neighborhoods anyway. Um, so it's a slow process for the people who are already residents, but it is a, it's something where you look at it and people who go, well, where are all the black people going or where are those old businesses going and why are there new business here? You know, what, you know, are you guys just trying to like take over and like march literally marginalize us, like push us out of these neighborhoods to more far flung yeah. neighborhoods? Like, are you forcing mm-hmm. this on us? And I think the most egregious form of it is the like I said earlier, the big developer comes in, scoops up property, builds a huge high rise. It looks completely different. Completely different people move in. Completely different businesses, and it's almost like you know that cultural eradication slash appropriation kind of a thing. And people feel like their way of life is threatened. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the the awful irony of it is, and this came up really recently in Logan, was a huge real estate firm owns tons of property mm-hmm. here. Because it's a good uh, investment, right? Because it's a good investment. Fishman, uh, Fishman and Co., yeah. They own the building in Tullyzen. They own the theater. They own Longman's building they own they almost own everything and they were going to raise the rent okay and i think they still are actually and there's this huge protest but you know and some of it was incredibly stupid but a great argument that um a woman who owns the flower shop across from uh, where i work was talking to me about was she was just like part of the reason why people want to live here and want to buy this property is because of the work that I've done, you mm-hmm. know? Like, when I moved here to start a weird flower shop, mm-hmm. everyone thought it was, it was 
you know, it was dangerous. It had a high crime rate. Mm-hmm. It's not clean. There's garbage places. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not nice looking. Mm-hmm. Like, and through my mm-hmm. time and investment, I've made Logan Square hip mm-hmm. or cool or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And now you're kicking me out of my building. You, you, know, know? you know what would be an interesting yes. thing for people to do who are moving into neighborhoods, taking these risks, starting businesses? It would be mm-hmm. interesting for them or even for people moving in neighborhoods being like, I'm a lawyer, I'm a young person, I'm doing whatever, mm-hmm. I'm moving into this neighborhood, and I know that my very presence here, because people still are kind of weird and racist and they have weird cultural things, and, um, because I know that me moving here will be a signal to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to sign a lease with my landlord that gives me renewal options at or near this rate in the future if when things go up. So almost knowing in advance that what you're doing is going to bring value to the neighborhood and negotiating mm-hmm. likewise, saying, hey, you could bring someone else in here right now, but I've got a business that I know is going to really raise the profile of this place. And so what I'm going to do is I would like to sign a year-long lease with you, but I'd like to have options for a second and third year where you can raise rent. That's fine, but we're going to cap it. We're going to negotiate a cap of a 10% increase on an annual basis or something to, of that yeah. nature. So what you're totally. really doing is saying, I realize that I'm bringing something to the table. And you know what? Because of the market and because of competition in more depressed neighborhoods or poorer neighborhoods or pre-gentrification neighborhoods, you'll be able to drive that kind of a bargain. What I've mm-hmm. done in my own situation is I've improved the property I live on as a renter, mostly out of my own pocket, my own sweat equity. And it's kept my rent the same because my landlady so appreciates me particularly being here. Um, And that's something I've done of my own volition. And, you know, the few hundred bucks I've spent on it has probably kept my rent several hundred dollars a month cheaper. Um, And so that's something that I've taken upon myself because I want to still have this. I want to keep this going for as long as I can, basically, because I know about the economic pressures or the economic realities that they could be charging 500 bucks more a month for my, for my place right now. Absolutely. And I just, I think it, I think understanding that things are communities is a great way to go about this whole issue. If that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of times we can view it as like, what's hip, what's cool. We can look at it from that angle. We can also look at it from the angle of like, financial numbers like this property is worth this and this property is worth that yeah but i think viewing it more as like you know the the woman who bought the logan theater and renovated it but didn't turn it into an amc you know she kept the art deco she restained the hardwood floors like she wanted it to still be the logan theater Mm -hmm. um she is, like you said, investing in a community. Yep. She's not she's not just coming in and saying, Oh, this property's valuable now, which in her case it wasn't even that way yet. Yes. Um but I wanna like, you know, blah blah blah, blah. this is a return on my investment, which I'm sure she still is interested in. Mm-hmm. But in a, in like what you were saying, it's almost like I'm going to make this better. But that doesn't mean I'm going to mm-hmm. rip every single thing out of, you know, well, what in, this a, in was. a perfect world, the landlord or rental company or whatever would recognize mm-hmm. that and be grateful for that and, and 
in some small way reward that person. But in our mm-hmm. in our the economy the way it works, you would negotiate that. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that would be smart. I de- I did not disagreeing with you, and I think moving away from business and moving back to rent and uh, displacement of families and things like that. I think it ha- it goes into a much larger discussion of where people, where individuals think racial and ethnic and even religious groups can coexist and how, and what that looks like, yeah. you know? So I think like, if you think that if any Hispanic grocery stores or markets or taco places close in Logan Square, mm-hmm. if you think that's a sign like that a displaced, cult, Yeah, like cultural genocide or something like that. Yeah, then that's one view, you know? If you don't, if you think that it's more like, wow, there's a bunch of new people, like, you know, shocker to everybody, I think everyone likes burritos. I do. Like, I I love the fact that there's lots of options. Yep. And I, I'm not interested in seeing those places go away, you know. Mm-hmm. And I and I and, and a lot of my friends and my coworkers mm-hmm. still support those. Yeah, we get to choose yeah. how we spend our money. So if a Panera <laughs> Bread opens up in, in your neighborhood, just give it the middle finger and keep going to the bodega down the street if that's something that you yeah. really care about. And I think where culturally Logan Square is right now, the reason why there's not a Panera Bread is because there isn't there isn't really a market for one. <laughs> like, which is these, good probably. Yeah, these places are cheap enough to compete with that directly mm-hmm. and still give you a unique experience. There However, is a lady, yeah. I have not seen her in a few months, but there is a lady mm-hmm. who walks by my driveway in the mornings. And may God bring her back to me because I miss her dearly. Mm-hmm. From whom I can buy a fresh tamale for a dollar and a quarter. And it is delicious. And I have it with coffee. And I hope that never, ever stops. There's a big yeah. discussion about licensing in Los Angeles and government bureaucracy and that these things will become a thing of the past if we let people legislate the crap out of everything all the time. But that's not what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. I'm talking about I don't want a Panera Bread in my neighborhood. I want that lady to keep selling me tamales, even if she has to increase her price to $1.50 per delicious tamale that's delivered to me in my boxers in at the end of my driveway. That's what I yeah. want. Yeah, Totally. But I mean, also being realistic, though, it's like, but if you're looking for people who have more, or not even have more, but are maybe just more willing to spend money on going out to eat, um, and whatever, you also need to, and I I don't want to sound mean when I say this, but you also need to, like, play their game a little bit, you know? Like, having a... Run of the meal, run of the mill, kind of decent, all right taco stand in Logan Square is probably going to get harder and harder and harder and harder mm-hmm. to make work here mm-hmm. as it becomes more and more gentrified. Yeah, so maybe if you yeah. own a taco stand right now, you start asking your customers, hey, what would you like to see? Is there anything we could be doing different? And hey, if we raise our the price of our tacos a quarter, like would you still come here? Kind of a thing. Yeah. Like so that you can compete, so that you can put away more money, so that if your rent does raise, then you're you're fine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Rock and roll. Well, 
I think that is probably a good place to leave it for now. I think there's more to be said about this. I know that a lot of people, there are some neighborhoods in which um, this kind of process has happened more violently <laughs> and it's been more mm -hmm. oppressive. And so I want to acknowledge that and, and just know that, that people have been put in, in weird positions, especially people of color, people who, who do feel marginalized by this. And, um, and there, there has been some of that. I just think that, you know, it's one of those things politically where, cities tend to be dominated by Democrats, at least most big cities. And mm -hmm. at the same time, and so, and people know that gentrification is good for cities economically. It brings in more money, bigger tax base. You can offer more services in your city. It's healthier for the, for the government. Um, but at the same time, one of your major constituents, which is people who are already a little bit more economically marginalized or people of color, um, people who are historically have been in these neighborhoods, African-American and Latino, these people are part of people are part of your constituency and you don't want to see them being displaced. While at the same time, you know that it's be like one of the things we haven't talked that much about is the fact that gentrification tends to radically improve the physical upkeep of a neighborhood. Like, yeah, not just like things that are in control of a city, like like streets and sidewalks, but just lawns, buildings, people putting new co coats of paint. There's a sense of ownership a lot. People come in and improve these, uh, improve these places because they have to, if they want to attract a certain clientele. And so that tend that, you know, that's a whole sticky conversation, but you know, one of the places in South Florida where you and I have both lived, it was a crappy neighborhood. And then a bunch of gay guys moved into the neighborhood and totally revitalized it and made it awesome was Wilton Manor. And mm -hmm. gay people have been on the bleeding edge of gentrification. And so that's another interesting political layer where it's like, this is another constituency within the democratic party that you don't want to piss off. Right. <laughs> like these, like yeah. these guys come in and just totally revitalize neighborhoods. So it's an interesting, continues to be an interesting topic. Yeah. And I think the last thing I want to say about it is in, I want to say in nine times out of 10 cases, it is more a organic thing that people do because they have to yeah people don't have a master plan yeah. to come in and change yeah. it's like i needed to live someplace where i could see my wife sometimes so she needed to be closer to work so we needed to live in the middle of la and we needed to find a place that we like she was gonna feel safe walking down the street even though a guy got murdered down the street from us a few months ago like she was gonna feel mm -hmm. like safe-ish and close-ish and that we could afford, you know? And so for us, yeah. it was survival of our relationship and our marriage and our, and our state of being. It wasn't to try to push anybody out, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that makes it more difficult. It's like, how do you even legislate against it? It's almost unquote, impossible. It's almost impossible. Because it's, it seems so individual, you know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. whoever came in, yeah. Whoever opened Longman probably just was like, I've always wanted to own a whiskey bar and I am a really awesome chef. The end, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and like, and I can't afford to open my restaurant in the loop. So yeah. this building is cheap and I'm going to do it. Like, which has almost nothing to do with anything that mm -hmm. we were just, you would have to about. literally make like demographic quotas mm -hmm. and legislate those, which I think most people would be uncomfortable with. Yeah. Um, that's like scary. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 We need 10 gays in this neighborhood guys. Mm -hmm. Can we get some? Nope. You're number 11. You have to go live somewhere else. Yeah. Like that's not great. Well, it's at a, all, it's a really interesting topic. We have another interesting topic 
uh, for you guys next week. We promised it would be this week, but we're, we're, we will deliver for next week. And that is the topic of superheroes, superhero movies. We might even mix in a little Beyonce lemonade uh, into this cocktail. Uh, Mike McCann will be joining us for that. Um, we're excited about that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to see Civil War, uh, Captain America Civil War between now and then, just so I can be mm-hmm. you know, up on my Marvel biz. And, um, you know, we just want to thank you guys for listening. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, I'm at Ryan M. Huber. He's at uh, N-I-C-S-E-G-R-A-V-E-S, right? Mm-hmm. And Nixie Graves on Twitter. We have at The Mean Pod on Twitter. You can also comment um, on our SoundCloud and such. Uh, you can get us on Stitcher. You can get us on iTunes. There are a lot of different places to get this podcast, but we appreciate you listening. Uh We will be bringing you superheroes next week. But until then, this has been Ryan. And Nick. And we will be talking to you next week. So, bye. 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 Bye.